Okay. So I had two points that I wanted to follow up on from last time. They were just nice. One was we talked last time about um, the number eight, actually two times ago, although we mentioned it also last week, the number eight, the identity of number eight as being seven plus one or one riding on seven, meaning eight, eight is not just the number after seven, but it's actually built of where you have cycles of seven and you bring them up with an extra one so that there's some kind of Mesiras Nefesh, some kind of Avodas Hashem from the supernatural, some kind of Gevura, some kind of strength where a person is doing something because it's Ratzon Hashem, not really for any other reason. There's no natural need for it. That creates a state of the supernatural. So you have the eight days of a bris milah. There's no like natural need to do that. We're doing it because it's Ratzon Hashem. And that is the, that is the sign of the covenant with Hashem, which is a covenant of eightness. So that the, the role of the Jewish people, as Rav Hirsch teaches it, seems to me it's based on the Maharal, um, because his description of six and seven is based on the Maharal. So even though I haven't seen the number eight, I, I assume that that's where it's coming from, just elsewhere. Um, that eight is the role of the Jewish people. Seven is supposed to be the role of humanity, because that's living in the natural world as Hashem created it, um, understanding that there is an aspect of seven, that there's not just six days of creation, but also a seventh, a day of Kedusha, a source of Kedusha into the world, that Hashem created it. That's Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Noach, right? Seven, that is supposed to be the way humanity lives with Hashem, is in seven. The Jewish people have accepted on ourselves a level of eight, which is good morning. Come on in. Welcome. Help yourself. <laughs> so there's an eight which is a higher level which is a higher commitment something beyond what's needed unfortunately at the time of Migdal Bavel there was a choice among the nations to try and live as six instead of seven which is trying to live in a physical world where it's all about six days of labor and your own efforts and no recognition that there's a source of Kedusha coming in and that's a problem we talked about that I think two weeks ago so I just wanted to mention something that I saw over Shabbos, which was um, a note in the Shla. Now, I don't pretend the Shla is like at a level where I really understand most of what he's saying at all. This note was just very intriguing, and I also did not see, he says he's going to talk about it afterward. I didn't get up to wherever that is. But he mentions the word Hanukkah. And the classic explanation of Hanukkah, which is what we based our share on last week, was is Hanukkah hey. Like they encamped on the 25th, like the 25th of Kisle. But the Shla also breaks down the word Hanukkah differently as Chana Kavav. The letters of Hanukkah are Chana and Kavav. Chana meaning Chana and her seven sons. And Kavav meaning the number 26, which is the, the four-letter name of Hashem in Gematria. A Yud and a He is 15, and a Vav and a He is another 11. It's 26. So Hannah and her sons who died, al-Kiddush Hashem, literally, for the sake of glorifying God's name and sanctifying his name in the world, that is an act of eight, and it's Hannah and seven sons, right, who are an eight that is a seven plus a one, right? The seven sons were killed, and then she added herself to them. So this is like really the same Hanukkah message. It's the same eightness. It was just interesting. It never occurred to me. Hannah and her seven sons is something you 
I don't know, hear a lot about in elementary school and then don't see it again. So I was really very surprised to see it there. So I wanted to add that on. Um, and then, okay, and one other thing that also ties into what we talked about with the Pachim Kitani last week, the little jugs that Yaakov went back and so I just wrote on the board, Vayivaser Yaakov Levado, Yaakov was alone. That was in uh, Parsha's, in, in last week's Parsha. Uh, sorry, two weeks ago already. Yaakov was left alone, and Rashi says, He forgot some small earthen vessels and went back for them. And we see in here the, the sort of the beginnings of the hints of Hanukkah in the Torah, um, in this eighth Parsha of the Torah, that he forgot the small pachim and went back for them. It also says, and this was also in the Shla and on the Parsha on Vayeshev Miketz Vayigash, Vayiga Bechaf Yerecho, the Malach grabbed on to the hollow of Yaakov's thigh, Vateka Kaf Yaakov, and the hollow of ya- the joint of Yaakov's thigh was dislocated. So the Shla says, you know, the word Kaf and the word Pach are really the same letters. Chaf and pei, and pei and chaf. And then he says, so, so there's a connection here. He's going back for pach, and he gets grabbed in the kaf. There is a connection here. And we know that the fact that the malach could grab him in the kaf yerech, in the hollow of the thigh, is an indicator that he was somehow able to get some kind of hold or do some sort of damage to Yaakov's children. Because obviously that's adjacent to having children. That's kind of a, a euphemistic way of saying it. So what is the connection between the kaf and the pach? And, he's, and the shla goes on to say, well, you know, they are the same letters, and yet they're not the same letters. In what way are they, and in what way aren't they? So they are, because both have a chaf and both have a fe. In what way aren't they? Because in one, in the word kaf, the kaf is what's called, just the name the Gemara gives it is kaf kifufa, a bent kaf. And pei pesucha, good morning, good morning, an open fei. In the word pach, it's pei kafufa. The pei is bent, and the chaf is pesucha. The, the chaf is open. Okay, that's what they're called. Nowadays, I don't know, we call them kaf and end of chaf, or chaf and chaf sofis, which means final chaf, right? Uh, in Yiddish, sometimes they'll call it langa chaf, like a long chaf. But the term used in the Gemara is closed and open, or, or rather bent and open. Bent, and sometimes it'll be called extended, pshuta. Okay, so it might be called chaf psucha or chaf pshuta, either an open chaf or an extended chaf, versus a folded or a bent one. This is something we touched on in the bracha of zokev, kifufim, because we talked about kaf, the word kaf, the letter chaf, the fe, like all the extended letters versus the bent letters. All right, so what the shla says is, the damage is in the kaf. The damage? damage. That's like sure. a strong word, isn't it? The damage? He was Wait, he was just... injured in the kaf. The malach injured him. Oh, that's so whoa, whoa, whoa. interesting. No, I what did I say? You... Okay. <laughs> the the <laughs> he's injured in his kaf yarech. He's injured in the kaf yarech, and. Um, oh, oh, Yaakov. Yeah. Oh, 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 I see. Not so shocking. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it is shocking, but nonetheless, I didn't invent it. Um, it's right there in the pasuk, which is right there on the board. Oh, there's tissues here. Oh, that's okay. There's tissues here. Um, he's injured in the chaf, 
which is a closed chaf, a bent chaf. Chaf is the palm, the cupped part, like the palm of the hand. And the fei is open. So the, the Shlach says there's an indication here that the damage that was done to his, to his children was a closed hand and an open fei. And in fact, in the following parsha, which is Vayeshev, Wait, closed hand? And an open mouth. An open pe. Pe is mouth. The letter fe is mouth. And the word chaf means a hollow or a palm, the cupped part. Okay, yeah, this is, well, it's the show. Okay. And the pach, I'm, I'm not going to rewind too much because this was in addition to the previous weeks. It's okay, but I want to start this week's topic already, and it's almost 9.30. Um, and pach is a closed mouth and an open cuff, an open hand, which is a correction. That's a positive thing. Now, the really good news we see here is he actually goes back for the pach first, which minimizes the damage. It allows there to be already in place a correction for the damage, for the injury that's going to be done. Okay? So the cuff, probably just because I don't understand it myself properly or something. Okay? It's okay. So the cuff. Hang on. Okay. So the injury of the chaf. What's the injury of the chaf? The closed hand, the open mouth. So the open mouth is Yosef talking about his brothers. These are the children of Yaakov. This is where we see that it comes out. The, the opening his mouth against his brothers, where it would have been better closed. And the closed hand, which is a sign of, like, stinginess or lack of chesed in how the brothers treated Yaakov, which is both the lack of chesed overall, like there was something missing there, but also it's specifically, and it is specifically played out in the fact that they ended up selling him for money, which is sort of the, like, they didn't need the money. Okay, they had money. They were very, very wealthy. So this kind of like the closed hand, like that you would even consider letting that influence, right? At whatever level, right? I wouldn't say such a thing myself. Okay, and what's the pach? which is a much better situation, the earthenware vessel, the pachin ketanim, right? Something so small and yet recognizing it has real value, a closed mouth and an open hand. And the closed mouth and the open hand, the closed mouth is a correction that happens, of course, at the time of Hanukkah, which makes sense because we know that those pachim, that pachi goes back for must be referring back to Hanukkah and that little jug of oil. Okay, so the closed mouth is because when the chashmo, and the open hand is that, there's a historic description in the writings of Yosifun, um, which is not exactly Josephus, but is somehow his writings. I don't know exactly. I don't know the history of Yosifun writings. Um, that when the Hashmonaim were able to take control, they donated almost all of the booty. And there was quite a lot because the Greek encampments, you know, there was just a lot of value in what was found. Um, that was distributed amongst the poor. Mm. And it's interesting because they didn't even have the money. When they lit the menorah, they were lighting a wooden menorah. They didn't have the gold menorah. It had been made yeah. off with. And it was years before they could afford to replace it with like a tin one. And then eventually they plated it with like silver and then plated it with gold. It was a long, long time before there was a gold menorah again. They didn't have the money. They could have said, we have to put it into the temple, and they didn't. They distributed it to the poor. That's the open hand. 
And the closed mouth is that they silence the mouths of the misyavnim, the Jews who had their mouths open to tell on their brethren, which is really what the open fay was the first time around, right? So that was closed and that was silenced. Okay, so this was just, it was just like a beautiful thought, like close the mouth, open the hand, you know? Like, it was beautiful, and I thought I would add it on to what we did last, last week. Okay, so this week I wanted to share a different essay, from, also from Rev. Brevda Sefer, Lahodo Zulahalo. I'm not going to share the entire essay, but much of it, and I found it very beautiful and inspiring. I hope you'll enjoy. It's a little bit late. I have, like, all these extra notes to add into it, but the essay itself will be enough. All right. The Torah says in and even through all of this, through all of the klalos and all of the tsaris and all of the painful times that will come about as a result of our sins, when the Jewish people will be in the lands of their enemies, I will not be disgusted by them. I, I won't reject them. I will not reject them, Hashem says, to destroy them completely. To break my covenant with them. And the Gemara teaches in Megillah Yudalif, Tana Loma Astim, Achachamim taught, each of these is referring to a specific time. Hashem says, Loga Ma'astim, I won't be like disgusted or turned off by them. Loga Altim Lachalosam, I won't uh, reject them and wipe them out. Each is referring to a different era. Loma Astim, I won't be disgusted by them. Bimei Kazdim, during the times of the Kazdim, Shehemarati Lohem Daniel Hananya Mishal Vazarya. So instead of just like pulling away from them, I actually will send them those who can, who can lead them. I'll send them leaders. Daniel, Hananya, Mishal, and Azariah. Also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Veloga Altim, I will not reject them or burn them out. Like Hagalah is when you need to get um, treif, like out of a pot, right? You put in boiling water to purify it. It's like to really clean it out. Loga altim bimei yivanim, in the days of the Greeks she'amariti lahem shimon hatzadik v'chashmono yivanov umatisyo kohen gadol that I, I will, because in the days of the Greeks, I gave them shimon hatzadik and the chashmonoi and his sons meaning matisyo the kohen gadol and his five sons. Lachalosam to wipe them out, bimei haman, in the days of haman. She'amariti lahem mordechai v'ester I gave them mordechai and ester to break my covenant with them, bimei Edom, in the days of the Edomites, she'amariti lahem, shall base Rebbe, because I set up for them. Now, when you say bimei Edom, my first thought was now, actually, mm-hmm. right? And it seems like it's referring to the Roman occupation of Israel, which makes sense, right? The Romans destroyed the temple. But it continues even now. She'amariti lahem, who did I set up for them? Base Rebbe, the house of Rebbe, and all the wise men for all the generations to come. And really, we have to ask a question that in these gizentes, that in these in these sets, Hashem says, I sent them Daniel, Hanania, Mishal, and Azariah. I sent them Mordechai and Esther, base Rebbe and Chachmei Doros. Okay, so we can understand, like Rebbe also like compiled the, the Mishnah, right? But in all of these cases, the pairs or the groups are somehow equal in what they did for the sake of the Jewish people. 
But it's hard to understand what is it over here where, where the Gemara brings us that Hashem gave us Shimon HaTzadik and Matisyahu and his sons. Matisyahu and his sons, we know what a great thing they did for all of us. What did Shimon HaTzadik do for everybody? So there is a famous Shimon HaTzadik yeah. story that's always brought around Hanukkah. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about it. But in, in talking about it, the question maybe gets even stronger at first. Meaning, let, let me, let's read. Uh, he quotes the Gemara here. It's a Gemara in Yuma, page Samachtes. Bekshu Kusim, the Kusim, who were, I think really the Samaritans are not, as far as I can tell. They're what's now known as Samaritans, all 638 of them last I heard. But there were a lot more of them once upon a time. Where were they again? They, they, like Samar- they came from Crete, I think. Crete? The, I think so. I think they were originally from Crete. <laughs> the, um, I mean, they claim they're from the tribe of Ephraim, but they're like weirdos anyway. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely weird. Mm-hmm. Um, we once the saw them. Filling around, or they wear like. No, they do everything, whatever. Anyway, weird. they're very strange. They're not Jewish. Um, the Kusim, I think they were from Crete. Nebuchadnezzar had a system, which was when you conquered a place, you didn't have to bother. You know, the Roman Empire, one of, one of the reasons it ultimately fell down was because when you have an empire that reaches out and reaches out and reaches out, it gets harder and harder to defend. Because if you push everybody to the borders to defend the borders, all your troops, then you're going to have resistance from within. So you end up having to spread yourself thinner and thinner and thinner. Um, Nebuchadnezzar actually he predates the Romans and he had a really good system which was he would conquer a place he would take the people away he'd keep some people as slaves but mostly he would just resettle them somewhere where they weren't used to being so they would have to get busy trying to acclimate and build lives for themselves and they wouldn't cause trouble there because they were newcomers and he would move the next people into the next place so the Jews were taken to Bavel, right, which was actually toward the capital it's kind of interesting but when he conquered Crete he moved those people to Israel which was empty, because he had emptied it out already. So they come into this fairly desolate land. There were Jews there, but very, very few. And they certainly weren't in control of things, and they kind of established themselves over there. And then about 70 years later, a bigger Jewish population migrated back, yeah, under Ezra and Nehemiah, and they start to want to build the temple, and then they built the temple, and the Kusim were very threatened by that. Because now they're not sort of... I mean, they weren't really ever dominating, but nonetheless, now there was going to be somebody who was local who was going to be in control. So they didn't like that. All right. So the Kusim, the Kusim wanted to destroy the second temple that had only just been built. So they asked permission of Alexandros Mokton, Alexander of Macedonia, the son of Philip of Macedonia, Alexander the Great, and he gave them permission. They came so somebody came and told Shimon Hatzadik what had happened. Ma'asa, what did he do? Lavash bigde kehuna. He put on the clothing of the kehuna gadola. He was the kohen gadol. Vehisatev bevigne kehuna. He wrapped himself in the bigde kehuna. Umiikiri Yisrael imo, and he brought with him the treasured people of the Jewish people. Va'avuko shall orbidehem with torches of light in their hands. So they all come in a procession. He didn't bring any strategists, any generals, any warriors. He came dressed as a Kohen Gadol with other righteous Talmidei Chachamim, and they were holding torches. V'kol halayla, 
and all night, halalu holchim mitzadzeh v'halalu holchim mitzadzeh. These were walking from this direction, and these were walking from the other direction. Okay, two groups walking towards each other. Ad she'Allah amud hashachar until the dawn began to break. Kivan she'Allah amud hashachar when the dawn began to break. Amar lo Alexander mi halalu. Alexander sees that there are people in the distance, and he asked, "Who are these people?" Amrulo, they said to him, the Kusim who were with him said to him, Yehudim Shamar Vecha, these are the Jews who have rebelled against you. Kivan Antipatris, when they reached the place called Antipater, Antipatris, Zarchachama, the sun shone, the sun rose. Okay, so this was, there was a sort of daybreak versus um, the sun just the light beginning to dawn versus the sun coming up. Ufagu And they, uh, sorry, that's also very reminiscent of the battle with, anyway, with Yaakov. That was last week. Ufagu And they encountered one another. They bumped into each other. Kivan shira l'shimon hatzadik. When Alexander the Great saw Shimon the tzadik, yarad mi merkavto, he got down from his chariot, and bowed down before him. Amrulo, they said to him, presumably this is the Kusim, said to him, Melech Gadol Kamoscha, a great king like you, Yehudizeh, is bowing down to this Jew? Amrulahem, he said to them, Demusta Yukno, this very image of his face, Shelzeh, of this man, Menatachas Lefonai Beves Milchamti, goes ahead of me in victory in every war. When he would sleep at night before a battle, he would have dreams, and he would see this face in his dreams, and when that happened, he would win the battle the next day. Now, he didn't know who this was. He saw this as an angel, you know, a guardian angel of some sort, and all of a sudden, he meets Shimon HaTzadik, and here's this man. This is the Kusi? This was Alexander the Great. Oh, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, when he met Shimon HaTzadik, stepped off his chariot and bowed down. And oh the Kusim who were saying, when he says, who are these people? He says, oh, those are Jews. They're the ones rebelling against you. Let us just knock down their temple. And then he meets him, oh and he sees the man, the face that he associates with victory in battle. Amar lahem. So he, he, said, he said to the Jews, Lama Basim, why have you come? Amru. And the Jews said, this delegation said, Efshar, is it possible that the house, meaning the base Hamikdash, in which we daven for the success of you and your kingdom, that it not be destroyed? Is it possible that these that these star worshippers, that these these avodazarniks, are going to? mislead you, send you astray, and cause you to destroy it? Which makes him think, first of all, he wouldn't want to destroy the Beis HaMikdash because he's come, Shimon HaTzadik is dressed as the Kohen Gadol, meaning the head of the Avoda of the Beis HaMikdash. That is what he represents, and that is what you have already seen for years as the source of your success. You just didn't know what it was. Right. You couldn't put a name to it, but that's what it was. But furthermore... These people are telling you to destroy that? Oh, really? <laughs> what does that mean? Ooh. Whose side are they on? They, they told you we're your enemies. Wow. 
right? Yeah, well, yeah. It took a lot of God's planning, right? Shimon Tzadik didn't know what Alexander Mokdon dreamt about. Okay. Is it possible? Amar lahem mi halalu. So he says to the Jews, who are these people? The Kusim. <laughs> who are these people? Amrilo, they said to him, Kusim halalu she'omdun lefanecha. They're Kusim. They don't, they don't say more than that. I mean, the Kusim, when they're asked, say, these are the people who are trying to rebel against you. The Jews just say, these are Kusim. That's who they are. They're standing before you. Amar lahem, harihem esurim biyidechem. And Alexander the Great said, they are handed over into your hands. Okay. So I'm not now going to go through some extra notes on that. <laughs> but depending on our timing, we can, we can maybe come back to it. So just looking at this, it's an awesome story. And yet, sounds like an emergency. Sounds like an awesome. Sounds like a serious emergency. Yeah, it's a it's an it's it's a miracle. It's an open miracle. More well, I guess a nearly open miracle. Where is this from? It's a Gemara and Yuma. A Gemara and Yuma. Yeah, Yuma Samachtes. That means that it's historic. Uh huh. I mean, it's it's a lot of other things too, because it's a Gemara. It's not just for the sake of history. That's why the name Alexander is a Jewish name. You meet senders. You don't meet so many Alex, yeah. Alexes. Didn't he become a convert of some sort? Of, he I was never, learning secretly with somebody? Um, I, you're probably thinking of Antoninus, although I have heard that Alexander did right. learn something, but I never heard that he actually I converted. He learned, but I, I don't think he converted. I didn't hear that he converted. Yeah. I didn't hear that Antoninus converted either, by the way, but that's a different issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to convert, perhaps. I don't know, but I don't know a lot of things. Okay. So what Rebrevda says is this is de- definitely, this is a tremendous salvation that comes in the time of Shimon HaTzadik. But in terms of the original question, which is what do Shimon HaTzadik and the Chashmonaim have in common, the question is actually stronger because the Chashmonaim gave up their lives, and literally, I mean, they all died. Matisiel maybe died of old age, but four of the five sons were killed in the battles against the enemies over the years. Also, like, not, like, super well-known, because it's not so popular to talk about, especially, especially if you've chosen a, an, a neo-Zionist message of the mighty warriors, then you're not so excited to talk about the fact that Yehuda and Yochanan and Yonasan and Eliezer all died in battles against the Greeks. It's a horrible thing, right? One of them was crushed by an elephant. Was it? They were all these terrible, you know, it was like being run over by a tank. I mean, it... It was it was a victory, but it was a very bitter one. Well, right? considering that how many were there? There were ten. No, no, it's an amazing. Well, I didn't know there were ten. I knew there were five, but it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous miracle, Hanukkah. But they really gave up a lot. First, they're living under the decrees. Then they're give, then they're hiding. Then and people are dying in the caves because they're being smoked out and suffocated. And then they're going and they're fighting in battles. And the battles go on and on and on for years and years and years. And they give their lives in these battles. And they give their spiritual lives in these battles. Because in the end, they took over as kings. They shouldn't have taken over as kings. They have no Jewish descendants from the house of Hashemona. Like, it's really, they gave everything, al-Kiddush Hashem. They gave everything, and it wasn't a quick thing. It was over years and years of suffering and work. You know, they go into the base on Mikdash. They had to sweep it. <clears throat> they had to wash the floors. They had to, like, this there was, was... no Jewish descendants from the Hashemunim? None. Anyone who claims to be descended from Hashemunim, you know for a fact is descended from slaves. 
not from Jews, non-Jewish slaves. It's not, there's no Jewish descendants of the Hashemunim already from the, from the Second Temple era. Well, there were people who wanted to be. Nowadays, I don't think anyone would want to, because if you knew the Gemara, you'd know that that would be like a, it would mark you as either a liar, oh, yeah, a liar or somebody nobody would marry. Yeah, that's so Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. all right. So, but Shimon Tzadik, what did he do? What's his big Yeshua? He put on his clothes of going Gadol, and he goes out there. And, like, everybody falls at his feet, and everything's great. So how do you say that, like, whereas Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah thrown into a furnace, okay, like, you can see, like, there's some kind of comparison. Mordechai and Esther, they're working together. Same kind of, same situation, same Mesiris Nefesh, same... Shimon Atzadik, where's the Mesir Snafesh? What do we, where do we see this, this kind of, so this is, this is the question that Rebrevda wants to deal with. And it leads us to like some, a new interesting understanding of what was going on at this period of time. And what I think we sometimes don't always appreciate is what a, what a transition Shimon Hatzadik presided over. So a different Gemara in Yuma, Lama Tess teaches, that during the 40 years that Shimon HaTzadik was the Kohen Gadol, the Goral, when, they would, when he would reach his hands into the Kalpi and take out the two papers, one La Shem and one La Zazel, for the two goats on the Yom Kippur service, the one for Hashem always was in his right hand. And that was only during his 40 years, meaning at other times, it, sometimes yes, sometimes, you know, sometimes right hand, sometimes left hand, and that wasn't a serious thing. And yet this was a sign of tremendous favor. And it was miraculous. Forty times it's already, okay. And the string, the red string that was hung outside at, in the Beis HaMikdash so that people would know when it fell over, it always turned white, all 40 years. The red string, if it turned white, the red string, there was a red string that was tied onto the... Oh, that's interesting. It says here it was tied to the head of the goat, also that was Mishdalech, that I didn't know. But I know that it, it's, it's, it's connected, meaning they would tie a red string, and then if the people saw it turn white, they would know that the goat had been pushed over the cliff and that their sins had been forgiven because it turned white. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But other years, sometimes yes, sometimes not. The Nerma Ravi, the western flame of the menorah, burned all night and all day. That one would burn right through the night and through the day, all 40 years. At all other times, sometimes it burned out by the end of the day, sometimes not. They could also, they could also add, also the fire of the arrangement, the pyre on the, on the um, Mizbeach, would light and replenish itself, meaning it would, just, it would burn strong throughout without needing replenishment. And at all other eras, so the Kohanim would come and they would bring more wood and feed the fire so that it would keep going on the Mizbeach. They would bring more to keep it going. There was a bracha in the Karban Omer, there was a bracha in the Shtei HaLechem, there was a bracha in the Lechem HaPanim so that when they divided it up for the Kohanim, everyone would get a Kazayas and everyone would feel that they were satisfied and had had plenty. And at other times you had to feed them extra to, to make them feel like they had enough. Okay. After the times of Shimon HaTzadik, Everything went back to like a normal kind of era, what we would consider more normal, considering there's a base HaMikdash, so that's already like not so normal, all right? In other words, the days of Shemun HaTzadik were days of Lamala Min HaTeva, supernatural. It was a time when even though the base HaMikdash, it wasn't the first one, 
It didn't have a lot of the things going for it that the first one had. Nonetheless, there was a sort of a daily life that had the element of the supernatural visible in it. The Ramban and the Rambam teach separately. And I'm, I'm skipping, so like, I'm, I'm skipping on purpose just because like there's only so much time and I want to get to the points that are more Hanukkah-based. Torah and mitzvot are supernatural. It doesn't really require so much for us to say that and, and be able to hear that. Torah and mitzvot is supernatural. It's super, Torah is supernatural chachmah. Mitzvot are supernatural actions. They are the source of our success. Okay, now, Shimon HaTzadik. You might recognize his name from somewhere else, which is Pirkei Avos. Even if you only just start learning Pirkei Avos, right, a lot of times people say, oh, I'm going to learn Pirkei Avos, one parak, every Shabbos, right, through the Tkufa from Pesach, through, right, and you get through, like, one, maybe, and then, right, okay. But even if you just barely start Pirkei Avos, you get to Shimon HaTzadik. Why? Because we learn. First, there was a Masorah. Moshe, keep al Tarim, Sinai, Umasarua, Yoshua, Yeshua, Lizakanim, Hazakanim, Lenevim, Nevim, Misarua, Laanche, Knesset, Hagdola. Okay? That takes you right through, I don't know what it is, 1200 years of Jewish history right there. Okay? From Moshe at Sinai, well, maybe it's not quite 12. 800, it's probably 900 years. Okay? From Moshe till the Anche Knesset, Hagdola. The Anche Knesset, Hagdola are a period of time about 120. Um, members of Sanhedrin, not all simultaneous, you don't have 120 people in Anshay Knesset but it includes within it Nevi'im, okay, so you have Mordechai, it's part of Anshay Knesset Ezra, okay, that is the period of time, Mordechai and Esther, essentially, and the beginning of the second Beis HaMikdash, from the end of, the Anshay Knesset essentially spans the destruction of the first temple through the rebuilding of the second one, and to drop into that, and that 70-year Gullus in the middle. What time period was that exactly? Like the end of the second base of Mikdash to the beginning of the fir- uh, end of so the first that, to the beginning of the second. It spans Gullus Babel. Is that like seventy A.D.? No, 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 no. Far earlier than that. Seventy A.D. You're talking about the second base of Mikdash being destroyed. Okay. That's four hundred and twenty years later. You're talking four hundred and twenty. So four hundred B.C.E. Four hundred B.C.E. Something like that. I'm not. I'm not necessarily so good at lining up two different timelines. There's some dates I know one way and some dates I know another way. And I know. It's I don't necessarily associate them so and line them all up. I know I'd love someday to do like an enormous timeline. All right. Help and me help me pull it. Does a timeline. There are timelines, but it, you have to really be able to stretch them out to make the most so. of it. Okay. Anche Knesses Hagadola. The Anche Knesses Hagadola said, Hevu Mesunim Badin. Be patient in judgment, raise up many students, make fences for Torah. Shimon Hatzadekaya, mi Shari Knesses Hagdola. Shimon Hatzadek, the second Mishnah, right? Third Mishnah Navos. Shimon Hatzadek was the final remnant of the Anche Knesses Hagdola. He said three things. Al Shlosha Dvarim Haolam Omeid. Hu Haya Omer, he used to say, Okay, what just happened? We don't even catch it. We're so used to Avos. Avos is telling us something here. Until the time of the Anshe Knesset Hagdola, 
There's no concept of quoting a Rav and saying, here's what he used to say. The first time you have that is with Shimon and Tzaddik. There's something very fundamental happening in the times of Shimon HaTzadik. Okay? Shimon HaTzadik used to say these three things, and, and none of the rabbis before him ever said it. Of course they did. But what they told you was exactly what they had learned from their teachers. Moshe got the Torah at Sinai, and he gave it to the Zikanim, and the Nikanim to the Nevi'im, and the Nevi'im to the... To, right? They handed it down. Or they were Nevi'im, and they received it straight from God if there was some sort of like extra thing you needed to hear, not even extra. Someone got a nevuah, it usually is an explanation of what already was in the Torah. Really, it's all in the Torah already, right? If, if not for the fact that we sinned and we didn't like get it, we wouldn't have needed all those other nevi'im. The Gemara says we would have just had the chomish and say for Yoshua, like you didn't, you wouldn't need all that. So something changed. Something seriously changed. And what's changing is Shimon HaTzadik is the last person who knew a Navi. Of the lead, he's the last one. After him, it's Antignos Yishsocho. It's already got a Greek name. Antignos Yishsocho, who never met a prophet in person. When you look at Shimon HaTzadik, he may have been a prophet himself. I don't know. But certainly he knew them. He was acquainted with people who were actual Nevi'im. After that, no more. It's a new era. It's completely different now. It's an era where, in the time of Shimon HaTzadik, you have supernatural things happening, and it's a natural world. The world has lost Nevuah. We've lost the major cravings for Avodah Zarah. Right? Everything has changed. It's very sad, and it's very striking when you see what's going on here. And what we have happening and when Gemara is telling us, when we're talking about Gullus Yavan, it didn't start in the days of Matas It started in the days of Shimon HaTzadik, hundreds of years before. Wow. He says, I sent them Shimon HaTzadik. The beginning of Gullus Yavan was the moment Alexander the Great took one step into Israel. Alexander the Great comes into Israel. Now you have the beginning of the Greek exile. And it's all the way at the beginning of the Second Temple era. Alexander the Great was a student of Aristotle. This is like a well-known... This is hundreds of years before the Cheshmanim? Wow. Alexander the Great, his father, Philip of Macedonia, hired the wisest man he could find, the most famous wise man, to teach his son. He was tutored by Aristotle. That's Greek Chachma. I mean, that is the ultimate scientific Greek wisdom. Thinking in terms of that which, it's science. If I can see it, feel it, touch it, measure it, it's real. If it's not, it's not. That's Greek wisdom. If I can think it, if I can logic it, if I can prove it, if I can touch it, then it, then it exists. Yeah. And if not, it doesn't. Right. And this is the encounter. It's an encounter between a man Right? In whose lifetime, and, and what happens in that encounter? Which is interesting because which they, they encounter Shimon HaTzadik yeah, and. Because right? that's totally an antithesis of everything that. You want to know how much of an antithesis? This is now me just pointing this out. I didn't see this anywhere. They meet in a place called Antipatros. Antipatros is a city in Israel, which it's attributed, I don't understand exactly because it's attributed later that the name was called Antipater by named after his father. Herod names it after his father. But an anti means against. Antipater means against it's the father. father. Against the father. 
You know what the name of that city was before they named it Antipatris? Kfar Saba, the village of the father. It's like such a, it's such a head-to-head confrontation that's happening here between Shimon Atzadik and Alexander the Great. And what, what they see is something supernatural happens. Alexander looks at him and says, I've seen you in my dreams. And he bows down to him. There's an acknowledgement. That is in the root. The, it's like the cure is in the root, right? Uh, that, in that first moment of Galus Yavan, you already have the indication of what the battle is, what the battle's going to be, right? Because even later on in the days of the Hashemon, they have this miracle with the light. Okay, we're not going to manage to cover all the details. I, I want to just go on because I want to... Yeah, okay. And it goes against Greek philosophy. It's exact. It's 180 degrees, degrees opposite of the Greek philosophy. Absolutely. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay. A little skip again. All right. The Greeks wanted to influence with their wisdom. They didn't want us keeping mitzvahs. They didn't want us learning Torah. Specifically because these are expressions of belief in supernatural that there is supernatural wisdom. There's, it may not be provable or discoverable by people, and yet it is true that there are supernatural acts, that there is doing something just because God said to do it, and that's the reason you're doing it. And this is what they were telling us not to do. And what did Shimon HaTzadik say? The world stands on three things, Torah, Avoda, and Kumilus Chasadim. That is not a natural statement. That's not a scientific statement. That's a true statement. Okay, this is Shimon Hatzadik now having to, having to be an expression of a person, of a great Torah scholar and sage needing to say something in a new way in order to be heard and in order to teach us what is God's will. That is a novel step in the time of Shimon HaTzadik. It was never needed before because you had God's will straight from his mouth, either through a Navi or through the Torah. And now, with the rise, it's, it's Zel Umazek. God is creating everything with equal power. Yes, you have, now you don't have Nivua and you don't have that Avodah Zarah flow. The Koach HaTumah has come down, but the Koach of Ruchnius has come down. But what you have fill, swelling up and filling that space is a chachma yevonis balanced against a chachma of Torah. You have here a holiday that looks like it's rabbinic. It's a derabanan. It's exactly an expression of this. It's something miraculous. It's Hashem fighting our fights. And yet, and it's Hashem giving us a holiday. Hashem giving us a new yantiv. And it comes to us through the mouth of people through the mouth of our sages. This is a whole new era. And it's what, it's, this is something we have to take out of it. And Shimon HaTzadik understood that in an ideal way. He said, I'm going to fight a war. I'm going to fight against the greatest emperor and general. I'm not bringing anything with me to fight with. What I'm coming with is Big Day Kahuna, Avoda, <laughs> the precious people, the Gamilas Hasadim with the torches of light, with Torah. That's what he came with. That's, that's the power in the world. He's, not com- He's coming in a, in a pure way, bringing things back to how they need to be. Who Zaha 
he merited, in the words of Rav Ravda, lahachazik bedoro es am b'madrega hadrusha lechatchila. He was able to strengthen the people of his generation to the to the the lechatchila level, to where they should be ideally, not just to like patch up, you know, what's damaged. He was able to pull up his nation with him. And that is, he brought them to a place of Lamalam in Hateva. And this is something that can be compared to what the Hashmonaim were able to do. To elevate and bring back the people of their generation all the way to a point where they touch and have, have expression in the world of Lamalam in Hateva, of that which is supernatural. Who was his mother? Sorry, Shemona <laughs> Tzavitz? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who his father was either. Yeah, I mean, I don't his know. father like, wasn't Hatzadik. Like, he's father. a Kohen. He's a Kohen. He's a Kohen. So it's definitely his father was a Kohen. By the way, that's also meaning it's also coming from Kehuna Gadola. Matisyo is Kohen Gadol. Shimon is Kohen Gadol. This is not. It's not incidental. There's there really is a parallel over here, of what has to happen. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. I, I just want to. Smart isn't it like the Kohanim are the, like, they're like the smartest also? They're so supposed like to be the teachers. Right. The, the, and that's the battle that they were fighting, that the Hashem were fighting too, against the whole Greek culture, a Greek way of thinking, a Greek way of doing things. Okay. So, these are walking through the night. The night also, in, in Torah, like when Avraham has the, the, the dream of prophecy going into the Brisbane Habasarim, it says he fell, fell asleep and a great dark terror came over him. And each of the words refers to a different part of Galos. And chashecha, the darkness, that's Galos. Mm-hmm. For all that it, the truth is beauty and beauty is truth and whatever nonsense, right? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we will die. It's everything is whatever's here. That's what's here and that's what's so beautiful. We're going to glorify that. The body, right? All of it is so beautiful. That's darkness. That's, that f- you think that's light? You're walking and stumbling in the dark. And so this is, they're walking in the dark. They're meeting each other. They come to meet at this place, right? And the Jews are carrying the light, and they see it. So I'm going to end here because we ran late. Um, I have to meet somebody soon, but what I'd like to do is, if anyone wants to stay, I'm going to run through some extra side notes. But th- this was, this is the basic essay. This is the basic point. Um, Can I ask you just one quick question? And happy Hanukkah. <laughs> yes. Um, I have extra lemons here for my lemons. <laughs> <laughs> I love lemons. Did you bring like eight um, lemons? That's what you're saying. So walking in the dark, what is the parallel okay, with so. And the yeah, yeah. Fighting in the dark. Well, right, exactly. He comes back in the dark, and, and they struggle adalos hashachar until the sun starts to come up, until the light begins to dawn, and then the malach says shalacheni, set me free ki Allah hashachar, because the day is breaking, right? And then after he lets him, he gives him the bracha, he lets him go. Thank you. The sun rose for Yaakov. Okay, so there's a clear parallel. It's not a parallel. There's a clear, it's what we'd call a Misa Avos Simon Lebonim, meaning what Yaakov, what the Avos, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, what they lived through, they were pre-living all of Jewish history. 
And so what you see is everything that happens later is somehow a replay of some little segment, some moment in the lives of the Avos where they, 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 they paved the road for us to be able to follow how they did it. Okay, so to talk about, to answer that question, what, was the question what, is, this, what is this thing about walking through the dark until it gets light? And, then and it's, it's with Yaakov, and it's Yaakov with, with, it's the with these overnight, which almost yeah. seems like unnecessary for the Gemara to have added it. They're walking through the dark, and they're walking through the dark, and finally they meet up. Pagu. Pagu means they bumped up, right? Now, like, what are the odds that Alexander actually, like, happened to bump into Shemazah? Like, it's clear that they saw them already a little at a distance, but they couldn't make out who they were because there was only a little light. The sun wasn't actually up. Right? There's this sort of a dawn, like pre-dawn, right? Where the, it's not as dark as it was. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at that. It must have been quite something. <laughs> know, right? Something to witness, yeah, okay. Wow. So let's, let's That's look at that for a minute. too, right? Like think of all the, like if you were there, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, okay, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Amazing. Okay. Okay, so the, hang on one second. First of all, Rav Brevda quotes the Vilna Gaon. Rav, Rav Brevda quotes the Vilna Gaon, explaining this Gemara in a different way, which I don't want to read the whole thing, actually, but let's see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the mice of Shimon HaTzadik and Alexandrus and the Kusim. There's a, there are some very deep hints here, many of which I'm not going to share right now. It says in the Gemara and Sota, but they are very, I mean, uh, they're very awesome, but they also correspond with the four levels that we've learned about in Davening, so it's, it's interesting, it's just not for today. It says in the Gemara and Sota Chaf Aleph, Kiner Mitzvah Vitora Or. That is a quote from a Pasuk in Mishle Vav. Ner mitzvah, a mitzvah is a candle, and Torah is light. Tolo hakosav es ha-mitzvah b'ner, v'es ha-Torah b'or. Ner mitzvah, a mitzvah is a candle, Torah is light. It is a mashal to a person, this is the Gemara, mashal to a person who is walking b'ishon laila v'afela in the deepest, darkest time of night. And darkness. And he is afraid. Good to see you. He is afraid of thorns, of falling into pits, of wild animals, and of bandits. And then he finds a torch of light. And now he's saved from the, the brambles and the bushes and the pits. Because if you're holding a candle or if you're holding a torch, which is like a much, much bigger candle, it illuminates the area around you. But he's still going to be afraid of wild animals and of bandits that might be outside that ring of light, right? He can't see very far, but he can illuminate the area he's in. Kivan sha'ala amud hashachar, once the sun comes up, nitzal mechai now he's really safe. He's saved from all of the different animals, and all the different 
uh, threats and dangers of the night. Once the actual sun Once, once, once there's light. Mm -hmm. Once the day breaks, now he can see for real. Okay. So the Vilna Gaon is going to be trying to explain, like, what does this all mean? Meaning, what is it that the Gemara... It's, it's true what the Gemara is saying, but what is it trying to tell us? Because, mm -hmm. like, people didn't really need the Gemara to come and teach you that if you take a torch in the night, mm -hmm. you'll be safer from many of the dangers. And if you can hang in there till the morning, you'll be safe from all of the dangers. Like, that, that wasn't really the point of the Gemara, prob probably. Right? Like, usually the Gemara doesn't come to tell you something that you could figure out anyway. <laughs> okay. The Yetzirah tries different ways to cause a person to sin. Sometimes by influencing the body, sometimes by influencing one's spirits, sometimes by trying to push on somebody's mind or logic or corrupt their logic. Okay, And this affects us on these different levels that correspond to the different levels of the dangers. And the Torah and the mitzvos, which Hashem has given us, Torah and mitzvos, which protect us. I mean, this, the purpose of them is not to protect us, but they do serve that purpose. They protect us in general by illuminating what is the truth for us so that we don't stumble. They also protect us in the sense that if that's what we're busy doing with our time, then there's good reason for Hashem to avoid putting obstacles in our path. Now, sometimes we get obstacles anyway because the point of it is the struggle, like Yaakov struggling through the night. When the sun comes up, he's a much stronger person and a different type of person. His identity changes. He becomes so, so different from the struggle. He didn't actually win, right? But certainly, if we're using our time correctly, we remove one good reason for there to be any other distraction in order that we should be able to do it. Okay. And this is the muscle to a person who is walking in the deepest, darkest night. In other words, a time when the light is hidden. The Torah is hidden from him. A person who doesn't see Torah, because Torah is light. So when a person is walking in a lightless environment, and it's a fela, it's not just the darkest night, it's also very dark because he has no candle, he has no mitzvos. He doesn't have light, he doesn't even have a candle. No Torah, no mitzvos. And because he is lacking in Torah and mitzvos, he is afraid of all the dangers and risks, which is essentially what Yaakov said, right? He says, I'm afraid I don't have enough Torah and mitzvos to protect me from the threat that's ahead of me. And then he happens across a torch of light. In other words, a mitzvah, right? So it's a candle, but it's already like something bigger than that, right? He comes across a candle, and he is saved from many levels of sin that are right around him. Just the light of the mitzvahs themselves gives us illumination and a feeling for what is true and what is correct and what is the way we're meant to live and prevents us from falling into traps. Is that when you have like a... Oh, I'll ask you that. But when the light comes up, when a person finally has illumination of Torah, then he has protection from all of these levels of, of threats to himself from the Yetzirah. This is a mashal with the Yetzirah. He says that, that, that all of this, remember, was being explained in terms of the Yetzirah. This was the Gra's explanation of the Gemara. And the salvation in the time of Shimon HaTzadik and the dear precious ones of Israel that he brought along with him, it wasn't by a sword, it wasn't with a spear, it was through torches of light and the sun coming up. They're walking with torches of light. And then the Gemara tells us, like, and why? First of all, why does it tell us they brought torches? And anyway, who brings torches of light? You bring torches of fire. Come on. 
It's called torches of light. What are they bringing? Flashlights? What's a torch of light? Okay? So first of all, it's odd that it says they're bringing torches of light. Second of all, it's odd that it tells us that they're bringing torches. Do I care how they figured out how to walk? Maybe there was a full moon. I don't know. Right? And why does the Gemara tell us all light... Sorry? Maybe they were learning the whole time. All night, these were walking from... I'm sure they were. These were walking from one side. These were walking from the other. And then the day breaks. And when the day breaks, they bump in. He says, who are they? And then the sun comes up and they bump into each other. Like, what's that all about? Just jump to the story. That's like, I don't know, like setting the scene. Yeah, and I'd like, the yeah but you don't set a scene. It's not a play. It's a Gemara. Right. right? So what is that about? So this is what the Gemara is saying, that the salvation was not through spears, not through swords. They were, their tools for salvation were torches of light and the sun coming up. That's like that Gemara. Right? That's the Gemara that says, Kiner mitzvah v'torah, or it's a mushal to a person who's walking in the darkness, and then he gets a, a torch of light, and he uses the torch of light, and that helps him, and then finally the sun comes up, and he's saved. That's what's being hinted to in the story of Alexander the Great and Shimon HaTzadik. It's referring you back to this other Gemara, which was just a few pages before, actually, in the same Gemara. No, no, sorry, that was in Sota. Sorry, not the same Gemara. One Sota, one's Yuma. Okay, this is what saved them from all the bumpings into in the world. Okay, and the Kusim were trying to be mevatel the Jews from Torah and mitzvahs. The Yavanim come along and continue to try and get people to be mevatel the Torah and mitzvahs. And Alexander says, I've given them over into your hands. They have no power over you. You have the power over them. Okay. Um, Does he associate his dream and Shimon Hasadik? He recognizes that that's yes. immediately. Hashem, no, oh, Hashem that it's God. Torah, that that's who his the antithesis of all of his. He sees Shimon Hasadik and he sees him as the the not only the representative of the Jews, the represent the representative of God. And of all his because he is he is the Kohen Gadol. So he's the he's the one who serves in the base Amikdash, in the house of God. Okay. Now I wanna I just wanna add one point here, which I, I hinted to a little bit before. But did they believe in God? Oh actually there's one other thing. They they, they, they were open God. to believing in all kinds of gods. They didn't care, but they didn't really believe in them. Meaning it was more expressions of who they were than anybody else. That's why they can't believe he's bowing down to this man. See how you're gonna bow down to a Jew who represents God? That makes no sense. And especially with his upbringing. But but it didn't it didn't make any also sense. He, Alexander like the Great is by bowing down. What he's saying is, I get it. There are things that are not just natural phenomena, because the fact that I've seen your face. That's right. And just the fact that I've seen your face. He probably never told anybody that before because they would have laughed at him. You have dreams that pre they would have said maybe it's something you think about, right? It's like how you psych yourself up for battle. Who knows what they would have said? And then it was, this is too much. This is clearly a supernatural phenomenon. That's what he's admitting. Okay. Now, conveniently, um, conveniently, Rav Brevda brings the Mesilas Yesharim, which we once talked about. He doesn't bring it over here. He brings it on a different essay, but that's convenient for me because I'd like to share it with you. To, as part of this answer about the walking through the dark, Mesilas Yasharim in Pergimel quotes a Gemara in Bava Metziah. This world is compared to night. Okay. 
And the Masil Sisharm says, Vahavin Kamanifla Hamaimar Hamiti Hazelamishamik Lahavinbo. Hine Hoshech Halaila Shne Mineto Yosef Shavosh Yigrom Lain Hadam. Look how awesome it is. There are two kinds. The, the darkness of night can cause people to have two errors in sight. There's two different problems that can come up. We mentioned this, I think, in Poker Ivrim way back when. You said this world is compared to. Oh, Yechasa Es Ha'ayin. No, um, this sorry. This, it's a, that this world, in this world, this world is like nighttime. It's like night. The Olam Haza is like nighttime. Now, Gullus Yavan is particularly considered night. Okay? There are two kinds of, of, dark, of things that happen to people in the dark. One is Yechasa Es Ha'ayin Achilo Yerimashalafan of Klau. One is that it's so dark that you cannot see what is before you at all. You see nothing. Oh, or sheyite also ad lo amud ki iluhu adam ve adam ki iluhu amud. Sometimes it's dark, but it's not so dark. It's starting to lighten up, but the sun isn't shining yet. Then it looks like a post or a pillar is a person, and a pillar a person is a post, right? Like, is that? A mailbox or a small person? You don't really know when it, if you've ever been out at like four in the morning, five, like an hour before the sun comes up, yeah. you can't make things out. Also the physicality in this world. It's the darkness of night to the eye of the mind. The gorim lo and causes him two errors in sight. One is he doesn't even see that there are pitfalls on the road in front of him. So he can suddenly fall into something and be lost without even feeling afraid. He just walking along on his way in the dark, doesn't realize that there's a sinkhole. Okay? But the second mistake, which the Masilasi Sharm says may be worse and harder situation than the first kind of darkness is when he can see, but he can't see much. And what's good looks like it's bad, and what's bad looks like it's good. And from this, a person's negative qualities and negative actions become reinforced. It's not just that he's walking blindly and sometimes this and sometimes that, but it actually can reinforce the bad. And now the person can try and see that he's got proofs or experiences he, by trying to use the mind of logic, he's gonna, it's going to pervert his reasoning and his thinking. And he's going to say, well, the last nine times it seemed to work out well, so I'm sure I'll be fine this time, right? This is a kind of like walking in a twilight state where the wrong logic and the wrong messages and the wrong experience can be reinforced. And this was the experience. This is why the Yavanim are the deepest, darkest night for us. Because their effort is to convince us to learn their outside ways of thinking, entirely different ways of thinking. And that puts us into a state where we cannot think clearly and we cannot behave correctly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. How do you. He says when you're. That's right. We're very good at rationalizing. <laughs> you can come up with any kind of thing, and it can be hard. You know, I, I was listening to somebody recently, unfortunately, 
And it was so frustrating because he was saying things that made no sense. But he says them very assertively and very like using like, Authority. he's a professor, so it's this kind of authoritative, professorial. Yeah. I'm, I'm all in I'm favor right. of professors. I'm my professor. dad's a professor. But like it's a certain, fortunately my dad does not have this particular gaiva, like this way of talking. This guy has it. And so he says everything and he's a really good debater. So he'll put point after point after point after point. And you know what, you have to be real quick to catch where the flaws in the logic. Because he's moving fast, and part of the moving fast is to prevent you from seeing it. Yes. So maybe he wants to prove he's right. I don't sure. know. Sure. But he, he could be wrong, dead wrong. Meaning just because you can build a case and someone else can't tear it down, that is a university, academic, right. Greek way of thinking. Can you build a case that someone else can't take down, and it doesn't really matter if it's true. Oh, right? Truth is beauty. Beauty is truth. Like, who cares if it's beautiful, if it's elegant, if it's great? That's the truth we'll go with. But that's not truth. Truth, like, is. It really, really is. So that's, it's a kind of a blinding. It's all, anyway, happy Hanukkah. Enjoy the light. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the